welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Today, we have a special guest in the studio. Uh, David has invited psychologist Donald Cohen to visit the show. David? Well, Donald, thank you for taking the time to be on the show. I know you've had a long day. And Donald is a good friend of mine. He's a clinical psychologist in Manhattan, right? Did, did I get that right? Uh, no, actually in Connecticut. Oh, Connecticut. Okay, close. I get New England right. But anyway, you know, Donald's... Right now and then I'm in New York. <laughs> you know, Donald's a good friend of mine. He's been in, in private practice for many years. And he and I have spent many hours talking about chronic pain and anxiety. And I just want to get his perspective on a couple things. He does a lot of family work, anxiety, depression. And Donald, could you introduce yourselves a little bit as far as your background, especially in your experience and interest, et cetera? So I've been working as a family therapist for 41 years. I've been in private practice 41 years and doing group and family therapy, individual couples, uh, dealing with uh, all types of issues, uh, midlife, anxiety, um, depression, uh, things like that, identity crisis. Right. So that's what I've been teaching, writing books. And um, how many how many books have you written, by the way? Uh, I'm I'm on my eighth book that'll be coming out in May. Wow. And what's the what's the most recent book? Most recent book was uh, a poetry book that just came out called Writings from the Ferris Wheel. Okay. Then are you doing a, a book on a father-son relationship? Is that the one that's going to be? Yes. Yes, that's coming out right before Father's Day 2020 in May. Okay. Uh, a, book I wrote, a book I wrote originally with my father in 1996 was called My Father, My Son. This is the new and updated version of it, which will be called The Inside Ride, A Journey to Manhood. Great. Well, I'm excited to have Donald on the show. Donald and I are good friends, and we'll try to keep this fairly professional here, even though when in real life we're not that professional with, e with each other we give each other a pretty hard time but um but anyway, <laughs> i'm excited to have you on this show but here's the perspective i'm really looking for is that you know after 41 years you learn a couple things i, I found out in spine surgery you actually learn a few things over 30 some years and what i'm curious about that we know in, in our chronic pain work that anxiety is a big deal and you've had lots of things that haven't worked lots of things that have worked so I'm curious just in general, your overall approach to anxiety. But I also want to talk about anxiety in regards to aging, because from my perspective as an orthopedic surgeon, it appears that people get older, their anxiety tends to get a little bit worse, or sometimes a lot worse. And some people seem to avoid it pretty well. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts just about anxiety in general, but also anxiety in relationship to aging. So, you know, it's, it's an interesting question to ask me because uh, – I've had back problems lately and uh, been very, very tired and noticed like even a day like today, uh, a stressful day because uh, trying to just get everything in and not having the same endurance that I used to have. And last night uh, I got 11 hours of sleep. Wow. Which, which really is nice because uh, it also speaks to how tired I am. Right. And, I think that uh, when I'm not dealing with issues of mortality, I'm dealing with issues of change around me. And sometimes I feel like Rip Van Winkle who just got awakened after 20 years of sleep and I'm looking around me and everything seems so different. 
And so that's probably uh, disrupted my sleep lately. But last night, for some reason, I was got pushed myself to the point that I was so tired. And I've noticed today that actually uh, I'm clearer in my mind, more positive, and my back is not bothering me as much. Oh, interesting. So I'm, so I'm using that piece of self-disclosure as a reference point to your question and for your show. Well, there's I find an, that very interesting. There's an interesting study out of Israel, very, very well done study on almost 1,200 patients over four years. And what they found out is that lack of sleep actually caused back pain. It actually induced back pain. And they didn't find they did, refought, they did not find the reverse causation. In other words, we know people in chronic pain don't sleep as well because of the pain. But in this study, they didn't find that. They found out that lack of sleep was actually the driving force behind the back pain. Hmm. So, so uh, if you take if you take today's experience that I'm sharing with you, uh, we'll have to see. I'm playing tennis tonight, actually, after this interview. That was part of my stress of getting everything in today. Right. I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it out. There's no doubt that when I sleep, there have been some moments where the pain has kept me up, but it really is a dramatic difference in the way I feel today after getting a good night's sleep, both mentally and physically. Well, I do know with the whole doc project many, many years ago, the way the whole process started is I started to address people's sleep. Because there's a book by William DeMent who started the sleep lab in the 1960s. His point being that only 5% of physicians actually addressed sleep as part of the treatment plan. So I said, well, I can do this. So I started getting people to sleep. And I was surprised at the number of people that would get better and still evolve where sleep is still number one in the entire process. And say, look, if you're not sleeping, the entire process is null and void. But sleep is a huge, huge deal in this whole process. But from your, so let me ask you a question. So my impression is that, at least in my experience and watching other people and colleagues, et cetera, that anxiety tends to get worse as you get older. Is that a fair observation or am I just wrong on that one? It's a funny question that you asked me because I had expected it to be the reverse of that. Uh, I think that what I find is the mechanics of life, like the kind of thing I had to come up with today that stressed me out about having to deal with my car, unexpected mechanical everyday life issues. I find myself... um, more overwhelmed by them and coping not as well with them because I, this is interesting. I just got in touch with this today because I'm a big Carl Jung fan okay. and how he talks about the second. And that's why the name of my book, the new book is called the inside ride okay. because we're all on an inside, we're all on an inside ride. And in the second half of life, we tend to want to focus at least someone like me uh, on my inner life and, and, and from within and when the mechanics of life get in my way at this stage of life, I feel like I'm being robbed of that experience, and that makes me anxious. Right. And that's an interesting thing because I didn't expect that. Uh, I really want – I find myself more anxious about needing more time to reflect and not deal with the everyday annoyances of, of car leases and flat tires. I mean, some of my observations about why anxiety might get worse, I mean, first of all, Unfortunately, cognitive function does decrease a bit as you get older, not as much as we might think. Yeah, there's more issues. Yeah, more issues with processing. That that can make you, you don't process things quite the same way as what you're saying, right? Right. And then you can't physically take care of yourself as well, which obviously is anxiety producing. And then, like, also we do know that at age 45, that the quality of sleep takes a dramatic decline. And so we're not sleeping as well. Of course, anxiety is an issue. And then, so let's say I came in your office, I'm 67 years old, and I just, I've not been sleeping well. My anxiety is about an eight out of 
eight on a scale of 10. And I have some life stresses in the family, but not horrible, but just something I'm just sort of, I don't see an end point to it. What's your general <laughs> approach to just helping me cope with anxiety? In other words, I guess what I'm asking, what's the general approach that seems to be more helpful than some approaches that aren't very helpful? Well, I'm a big uh, advocate. Uh, well, now you know that certainly the sleep factor is a, is a big deal. Right. I also, if, if you've heard recently, it was interesting, it was on the news the other night, they're now in corporations in the, in the city, some of the big corporate structures are actually uh, encouraging people to take naps during the day on, they have like these nap machines where you can put this thing over you. Have you heard about that? I have not. Yeah, they're like 20 minute naps. Or they're almost requiring them now in, in workplaces. So clearly more sleep. I think meditation is good. I think certainly time to reflect, just taking a time in your day to do something that you feel relaxes you, whether it's reading a book, taking a walk. Um, I'm also big on creativity. So creativity is a broad thing, but finding time to express your creativity, exercise, relaxation, meditation, um, perhaps that, that, as I've suggested, a nap, uh, and also really finding a place and somebody to talk to about what you're really experiencing inside yourself, I think is important. I think dream life and, and being in touch with your dream life is also important. Okay. So in general, if somebody comes in with anxiety, you obviously get to know them as a person with their families, like, et cetera. So obviously you're not taking a one approach fits all type attitude. But um, so I agree, sleep, exercise, creativity, all those things are, do you prescribe those? Uh, like you said, you know, go meet with your friends or actually take an art class. I mean, do you actually prescribe those as treatments or just sort of help people figure this out themselves? No, I'm big on, you know, I don't believe, I, I'm very active and verbal in my therapy. Okay. Exercise is certainly, I, I want to just include what you said, make sure it also include exercise is very, very important. So no, I would, I actually uh, make those recommendations to people when I see them. What about as I'm far proactive. as talk therapy? I mean, do you, um, I, obviously you do talk therapy. Do you tend to focus on the response to anxiety, anger issues, family issues, or, do, or does it just depend? It depends. That's why, look, not everybody has access to their dream life, but everybody has a whole other life in their inner, in their inner world. And so I always look for what's going on unconsciously with somebody, but I'm also encourage people to express their feelings, stay in the moment with me. Uh, I, I think the more you get out what's inside of you, whether it's uh, a dream, whether it's a feeling, even anger issues, just a place to vent and express. I just encourage people so much to not internalize their feelings. And I'm going to ask you a funny question here. So what are some of the blocks to people actually solving their anxiety? In other words, I'm assuming a high percent of patients you work with have less anxiety after you work with them for a while, right? Right, right. It was, Hopefully. Like, is it like over three months, six months, a year? I mean, how long does it sort of take to actually decrease anxiety? Well, that's a very tough question because you can, I don't think you can give a specific answer to that, but I'm a big believer that uh, you need, first of all, if you come for therapy, you have to establish a trust with the person you're working with. So even that takes time to build. I, I think, you know, at least six months to a year, uh, you know, is a way of building a rapport a relationship and a rhythm, but it can be less. It, again, it's very individual. 
Okay. And then, I mean, as you probably, as you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm talking to a psychologist here. I mean, the, the prognosis for anxiety disorders is not, not so good, right? I mean, isn't there, is it like, for instance, obsessive compulsive disorder, of which I'm a veteran mm -hmm. myself, the prognosis for yeah. anxiety, the, the, the diagnosis for, I mean, the prognosis for anxiety disorders is sort of challenging, right? Yeah, definitely challenging. But I, I don't, frankly, I don't focus on that because to me, that's going to take me to a negative place. I, I, I tend to think more optimistically and positive. Okay. So in terms of statistics and stuff, I, I don't like to get bogged down in that because to me, when I'm in this room, I'm only feeling uh, hopeful and in a positive frame of mind and not thinking about, you know, results gotcha. from the past. Well, is, I think that's a great answer because, I mean, clearly, if you're excited about what's going on, why it just helps the whole energy of the relationship for sure. There's also a process called mirror neurons where when somebody laughs, somebody else laughs. But it's not psychological as much as you're actually stimulating the laughing center of the other person's brain. You know, yeah. If you have a great attitude, it's just contagious. That's a great you know, David, that's a great point. You and I have talked about that. As a matter of fact, I'm even, I've even laughed a couple of times because um, I was feeling so overwhelmed before we went on the air, just, just trying to stub some food down me. And, 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 make, and, I, and I actually, because of my own ADD, I think I dialed the wrong ID code about three different times. So I was feeling a lot of anxiety. Right. So I think that humor is very important. Uh, we've talked about that. So that's a, I'm glad you brought the issue of humor up because – in my office, even the way I've designed my office, and I think eventually you and your lovely wife are going to be coming here to visit it, my office is a kaleidoscope of memories and objects. Right. Uh, there isn't a, there's, when you come here, there isn't a place in this room that doesn't represent some aspect of life, and there's a lot of humor in the room. Right. And I use a lot of humor in my therapy by just being who I am. As a matter of fact, I was telling a patient today, I noticed that your girlfriend finds me very funny. She's one of my best audiences. And he starts giggling in the waiting room. He says, yeah, for some reason, she doesn't laugh with anybody like she laughs with you. That's funny. And I felt really good about that, you know? And so, yeah, I like to, I think, humor, having fun, and also being loose and getting out of the box and doing things that you wouldn't typically do, by the way, is right. a good way to reduce your anxiety. Right. So that's, I'm glad you brought it. I think that's, the humor piece is very important. The other thing that I forgot to bring up, by the way, particularly when you get to be where I am in my life is, one of the things that creates anxiety as you get older is your issues around mortality. Right. Uh, and that's again, where you need humor because if I don't, if I don't have humor every day, either a friend of mine's getting Parkinson's disease or having cancer or dying. And there are so many things that remind us of that. We're not where we used to be. Right. And so I, you know, I actually would rather hang out with somebody who's funny than somebody that's just intellectually stimulating. If I get both, I'm really happy. So does that mean we can't? Did, does that mean we can't be friends anymore? I mean, my wife tells me I have no. My wife tells me I have I, humor. We, but we laugh about that together. <laughs> right. <laughs> Don't we? we, 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 we what's great about that is we laugh about that together, and somehow when you're with us, you actually laugh, David. I do. You're laugh. a little lighter. Right. You're, and I enjoy that about you. But what's nice is I love that we can be deep. Right. But because your wife, your wife and I get along really well, and she's very funny, and I'm very funny. Right. And my wife is very funny. You become funny. <laughs> and you're even funny when we talk. And we, we're, you're even funny when we talk about you not being funny. Right. Is that the mirror neurons thing happening? I don't know, but I call it the highest laugh. Is that what, here's the, here's what's happening right now between you and I. 
right. uh, some great philosopher, some great philosopher. I don't know if it was Schopenhauer or somebody says the highest laugh is the laugh that can laugh at itself. Right. And, you, you know, so you're, vo I like that about you. Well, I think that one thing we should talk about is that we had sort of a remarkable experience is that Donald is a childhood friend of the person who introduced my wife and I, her name is Patrice and Donald and Patrice, what grade did you guys meet in? Well, how old were you? Oh my God. I think she and I go back to like first or second grade. She was my cheerleader on the basketball court. She would make me tuna fish sandwiches before basketball practice. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, and, my God. And we, and we laughed a lot together, by the way. And we still yeah. do. And Patrice's daughter, Megan, got married in Tulum, Mexico a few months ago. And we knew Donald and Dee a little bit, but we spent five days together at this hotel on the beach. And it went going back to high school or college. And my wife went down there with pretty severe knee pain, which she'd been having off and on for about four months. And we honestly, we, it wasn't even the drinking. We weren't even drinking that much, but we just started to laugh. And I'm not sure why. And Bab's knee pain just flat out disappeared. And it's, it's still gone. She, she has no knee yeah. And yeah. And see, one of the things we can, I don't want to get too much on this, but everybody knows my lines a little bit, that, that the essence of healing chronic pain is feeling safe. Because when you feel safe, your body chemistry goes from stress hormones to play hormones, like oxytocin, mm. serotonin. What it does, it changes mm. nerve conduction, actually changes. See, when, when, you, when you're full of stress hormones, it doubles your nerve conduction. Your body is supposed to feel the pain more when you're under threat. You become hypersensitized. When you relax mm. and laugh, you've heard laughter is the best medicine, because it changes the body's chemistry, so the nerve conduction gets cut in half or more. Mm. And the pain will just go away. That's why we have hundreds of patients going to pain-free. And you know, on my website is forgiveness versus play. And the play is a big deal because, it, again, it, it's not an obsessive play to distract yourself. It's truly relaxing. And I would say mm -hmm. that, um, I mean, because we, we had a pretty good time in Tulum, didn't we? Well, I thought it was one of the best times we've ever had together, actually. Well, actually, it was a, it, it, the highlight was having – connection you know it, it's connection and laughter brings connection but even when you're not laughing and you feel people are getting your humor or things you're saying all contributes to a lighter more relaxed attitude and we had an amazing experience with us with each other the four of us and the rest of the people around us and i think we actually made people happy. we people started coming to our hotel because it was like became the student union it was the place to be it's true and then we also we were fun because we were we were fun david you were fun too david you were fun too Right. I'll take it. <laughs> you were fun, David. At least for 10 minutes of my life, I was funny. So, no, it was good. We also had a little, what was the uh, language spoken? Mayan toast. Oh, we had fa, mash. Well, right. Patty, because Patrice, well, I forget, we don't call her Patty. We call her Patrice now. She was Patty to me. Right. Growing up, we had, this is part of what we're talking about, we all had our own private language. Uh, then we made up a language. Um, what was it? A language from Mexican? What was our the, the Babs came up with? What would we call that language that we came up with for the wedding? We just came. We came up with all these fun words. We don't have to get into words, but we. It's fun to make up things. Be, again, being creative, being right. loose. Right. So we. I had a language with Patrice growing up, and then Babs, your wife, and all of us created a new language, and actually we recited it and performed it at the wedding. Yep. <laughs> it was fun. We had a good time. There's actually a very, very famous book. It's called um, The Anatomy of an Illness by Cousins. And he actually mm -hmm. talked about laughter 
cured him of a disease called ankylosing spondylitis. And there's actually a paper out of Sweden about six months ago showing a very strong link between chronic stress and autoimmune disorders. And people forget, well, okay, wait a second, what is an autoimmune disorder? Your body's immune system really attacks itself. And with my wife's knee, is people forget when you're full of stress chemicals, it changes, it, the histamine levels are up, it changes the inflammatory response. Again, not psychological, it's neurochemical. And we totally relax. I, haven't, I honestly haven't relaxed like that in a while. And my wife keeps reminding me that I need to do that again. But anyway, that laughter truly is a healing effect. It's a, it's a big deal. But um, No doubt about it. No, and, and you know what, what's nice about your wife, one of the things I like about your wife, you know, when you're with somebody who is willing to get out of the box and stretch and be silly, and I mean silly, I mean, there's no reason why people when they get older can't still be silly and immature. Right. And have the child, have the inner child play going. Right. Uh, it gets, it's contagious. It is. And then you, and then you stop thinking about who you're angry about and all the old things that overwhelm you in your everyday life. So right. that's it. That picks up the other subject of anger and forgiveness, which you started to hint at is that, uh, anger and forgiveness. Or, uh, anger does not do good, good, good things for anybody. It's certainly not your body. Right. Forgiveness is, and I, I'll tell you how I use forgiveness is I try to understand the otherness of the other, which is what I mean by that is, is that when people are doing stuff to us, it's not necessarily personal. It's because of where they're coming from. Right. And then when you get out of feeling like a victim that takes away the stress and the anger, and then you can laugh. Right. Right. And all those things help, got to help yourself, gotta, has got to help you physically. Right. As well as sleep. As I said, and don't forget where we started there with sleep because I'm going to test my back out on the tennis court tonight and see if that theory is correct, which I think it might be. No, it really does make a big difference. Again, it changes the body's chemistry and it changes the speed of the nerve conduction. Well, Don, if that's I... Why I meditation, that's why David, that's why meditation is good also and right. relaxation exercise. Absolutely. Well, and... It sounds like, if I'm hearing you correctly, that when your patients are with you, you first of all get to know them so they feel safe, and then you right. guys have real conversations about real things, and right. people get to relax. Well, that certainly feels good. It feels good when you can talk about things. In the, it's, it's, it, I, think, I feel good when somebody listens to my, uh, my getting down to deep, meaningful things, and you don't have to explain it to them. They get it. You right. connect with them on a spiritual, psychic level. That, too, is an extremely to feel connected to another person because you don't have to explain yourself to them. Right. That kind of human connection definitely reduces anxiety. That's an interesting point because there's a huge study done by Cigna a couple of, in 2018. They surveyed 20,000 Americans. They found out that 53% of Americans feel socially isolated. Another... Mm. Chicago showed that when you are socially isolated, you had, you develop the exact same symptoms that you do with physical pain. In other words, social, mm -hmm. emotional pain and physical pain go to the same part of the brain. You develop the same physical symptoms. And a big part mm -hmm. of the process that we have seen is, is connecting with other friends and family. And you just do it. There's no shortcuts. But reconnecting with life is a huge factor in actually calming down the nervous system and healing pain. And it sounds like well, you're right there in the office. Well, you know, that's another good point you're making up because I've done a lot of group therapy when I was giving you my resume before. I don't know if I yeah. emphasized that that's one of the things I've done a lot of group work. Okay. So I'm really, 
So what we had when we were in Tulum together, we were doing group work all the time together because we were always talking as a group and we were very communal and we were not isolated. Right. And there's no doubt that I'm big on uh, group experiences, communal uh, connection. You can even make a case for as, as the 60s generation gets older, we, we would talk about we should all get a place together, right? Patrice, Kevin, yeah. me, you know, all of us together. Right. Because there's no doubt that if you're not isolated, you're more connected. And that can even be whether you're in a group situation or, or a one-on-one situation. Right. No, I absolutely agree. Well, Donald, thank you very, very much for your time. We're going to talk in a little bit about the family issues around pain, et cetera, and your experience on that. But uh, any final okay. words to the uh, lis- listeners as far as some of your thoughts on life in general, anxiety and aging? Uh, well, the thought I'm having right now is that actually this has been fun doing this with you, and that should help the fact that I got some sleep less. Now, my tennis should be outrageous tonight. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, in ter- and in terms of just deeper thought, um, talking to you uh you know it's 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 nice to do this together something we haven't done before which makes me think of another thing when we do something that we've never done before that's novel right new that becomes empowering and invigorating so i guess from this one could say that we've never done this together before and ironically one could make the case for the fact that that has reduced my anxiety today because it's not something i've ever done before so being innovative different and creative and original uh stretches the soul it doesn't shrink the soul it stretches the soul absolutely well thank you very very much this was fun it was fun all right so next so donald i want to uh, thank you for being on the podcast and sharing your insights and experiences around aging and anxiety and to our listeners i'd like to remind them to be back next week for another episode of back in control radio with dr david hanskin For more information, remember to go to the website at www.packandcontrol.com. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.